You know, whenever uh, we sing certain songs, uh, it brings a memory back. And that, uh, the song that we sang earlier, really brought a memory back. Um, there is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Uh, years ago, our family used to take in Japanese students who were over here learning English. At, a, at the local college. And so we, we brought a number of them to church with us one Sunday, and it was Communion Sunday. And they were from a Buddhist background, and they didn't know anything about Christianity. And so we sang this song, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. These girls were absolutely terrified because it sounded just so morose. What is all this about? And it actually opened some doors for conversation. And uh, the, long, uh, the short story is uh, we were able to lead one of those girls to Christ before they left to go back to Japan. And we used a Japanese for spiritual laws. It was, I had no idea what that, what, that, that four spiritual laws said, but I had the English one, and I was just turning the pages, <laughs> looking at the pictures. But God opens those doors, but I'll never forget that hymn. Anyway, uh, I want to talk to you this morning, and I'm glad to be back. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, I want to speak to you this morning about repentance, true and false repentance. Now, repentance is not a word that uh, we hear much about, actually. And whenever someone will, will talk about repent, uh, it usually has a negative connotation. And, uh, but, you know, we think that repentance is something that the lost need to, to know about. I'm talking about the sin-soaked heathen, you know, the ungodly, the unconverted atheistic pagan. And I hope when I'm through here, uh, you'll see that that perception uh, for what it is, a misperception. Uh, turn in your Bibles, if you will, to your New Testaments in 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. Your outlines are in your bulletins, and hopefully as we go along, you can fill in those blanks, and uh, hopefully it'll be helpful as uh, you leave here. But the Bible says that um, the heart is deceitful above all else. And, uh, you know, there, there is nobody uh, you can fool like yourself. And John talks about that repeatedly in these verses. And uh, you'll see it there, 1 John uh, chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And you notice uh, he's saying that people, many people, uh, instead of walking in the light where things are, are open and transparent, they, they walk in darkness. And notice the end of verse 6. Uh, when we say we, we, uh, uh, that we have no sin, um, 
and don't practice the truth, but it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, uh, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then it goes on, if we say we have no sin, in other words, hey, you know, I haven't done, any, you know, done anything wrong. I'm, I'm no worse than anybody else. And, you know, I may not be good enough for heaven, but I'm certainly not bad enough for hell. Uh, beloved, if we say that we have no sin in our lives uh, worthy of taking us to hell, we are deceiving ourselves. We're just fooling ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. Uh, we're totally lacking in God's truth. We know, uh, you know, a whole lot less about God than we'd like others uh, to, to believe. But look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is, he, meaning God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a tremendous truth there is here. God not only forgives our sins, then look at verse 9, but he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. In other words, forgiveness, you betcha. Yes, uh, to deal, and watch your notes here, uh, forgiveness to deal with the penalty of, of sin, but cleansing to deal with the very presence of that sin. And God removes that sin from us as far as the east is from the west, we're told. Uh, just as if, we, as if we've never committed that sin. And we are as pure in God's eyes. This is hard for us to grab hold of. That we are, because of Jesus, we are as pure in God's eyes as, uh, as his son, as the Lord Jesus Christ, because God sees us through the Lord Jesus, and our sins are separated from us by the blood of the Lord Jesus that cleanses us all. So, and I'm not talking about small sin, or some sin, or even most sin. I'm talking about 100%. The 100%, everything included, nothing excluded. So how important uh, it is then that we believe, that we believe on the Lord Jesus. And that word believe, uh, it, means, it means to trust in and rely on. So when you say, I believe, I believe God, I believe in the Lord Jesus, do you trust in and rely on? We use, sometimes we use that word so casually, so flippantly. Uh, but then that, and, and that word confess in verse 9, it's an unusual word in the Bible. The, the word in the original is homologous, and it comes from two Greek words, uh, logis, which means to speak, and homos, which means the same thing. And whenever you have a word in the English that begins with H-O-M-O, it means the same homogenized milk. I know where I could go, but I'm going with homogenized milk. <laughs> homogenized milk, uh, years ago you'd get milk, and I don't know, some of you will remember this, it got delivered to your house by the milkman, and he would put it in the milk chute, uh, where it would sort of keep, uh, keep somewhat cool, uh, and, the, and the cream would rise to the top. 
And you could spoon that out, and it was so rich. It was so good. Uh, but now we get our milk homogenized, and the cream is spread throughout. It's the same, you see, throughout. And in verse 9, homologeo is what we have. We say uh, the same thing that God says about my actions. Uh, we, in other words, we agree with God about our sin. And in other words, instead of covering up my actions and justifying my actions and making excuses for my, uh, myself, I say the same thing as God says about me. Uh, if God says, Terry, you are in such a bad mood, uh, I, I could say, Lord, um, I, I was tired. I had a bad day. But I, instead of that, I say, yes, Lord, I am in a bad mood. Would you forgive me? Or if God says, boy, you were sure grouchy with your sister. And I could say, um, I know, Lord, but she picked on me. You know, I could say that. But, but no, you know, that's where you say, yes, Lord, I was grouchy with my sister. And please forgive me. And then I go and I, I ask her forgiveness. That's the part, and we'll get into that in a little bit. A little bit. If the Lord says, well, you know, what you did there was selfish. You know, I don't say, but Lord, everyone else is doing it, you know, and, and they're doing it even worse. No, I, I say, yes, Lord, you're right. That is selfish, and, and would you forgive me? So whatever God says about my actions I evaluate them like God would evaluate them, and I say the same thing uh, about myself that God says, you see. So just what is true repentance? I said we're talking about true repentance and false repentance. True repentance is having a godly sorrow about my sin, a godly sorrow. Uh, the, the way this plays out in life is that I'm more concerned about uh, what God thinks about me than I am about what anybody else thinks about me. I'm more concerned about God's feelings about me than I am about my, my reputation or my self-image. Uh, and, and I want to be right with God. And so I have a godly sorrow uh, for my sins that I know I've sinned against him. I've sinned against him. I've grieved him. Right repentance, true repentance, will have right external actions, right acts, uh, outward acts. In other words, I'm going to change my uh, lifestyle. If it's a sinful life, I'm going to change that lifestyle, and uh, so that it matches a heart of of true repentance. But beloved, the heart is deceitful. It is, and like verse eight uh, implies, we have such a penchant in ourselves uh, for deceiving ourselves and lying. And sometimes it's just sometimes it's almost comical, and other times it's so tragic. And it's, it's important that we see, do I really have complete repentance before Almighty God? 
And I want to show you, and we'll go through these pretty quick here, I want to show you seven ways that people deceive themselves from having a complete repentance and a complete sorrow for our sins. And the first one is found in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, 22 through 26. And it shows how we can have a misdirected confession. And I wish we had time to go through all of these uh, uh, scriptures, but we don't. And so I put them in there as a reference, and I hope later on you, you could even use it as a devotional, that you go through and you look up those and see what, what the Word really says about these things. But uh, uh, this is the section on the sermon on, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, uh, that uh, where Jesus says, if you're bringing your gift to the altar and you there remember that your brother has anything against you, you remember what it says? It's a, it, did he say you should go through the worship service and, and give your offering and praise God and then afterwards, later, go make it right with your brother? No way. That's not what it says. It says, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother. In other words, do it quickly, you know. Now, we certainly want to confess every sin to God. And we should, and we, we, we must confess every sin to God. But if I have wronged my fellow man uh, in, in any way, if I've, I've said unkind words to somebody, and you know, that's so easy to do, and it, boy, it can just fly out of your mouth so quickly. Uh, if, if I've been cruel to somebody, or maybe even cheated somebody, you know, it's not enough for me to say, oh, Lord, forgive me, you know. If your brother has anything against you, you go. You go first and be reconciled to your brother. And I need to go to that brother or that sister in the Lord that I've offended in whatever way it was and say, would you please forgive me for those unkind words I spoke to you, for the way I've mistreated you, for, for the way I've, I've cheated you, and make that confession. A misdirected confession is confessing your sin to God, but not to the one I've hurt. And so that's a, a, it's misdirected. And, and that goes for our spouses, too. You know, there's not enough of that going on in our marriages, where we go to our spouse and, and we confess uh, the, 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 the rotten way that we spoke or, or whatever it was. And, uh, we, you know, if we did that, I don't think there would be so much uh, uh, animosity in marriages. And I don't think that, that the, the divorce rate would be almost as bad as it is in the world in Christian circles. We need to be able to come to each other and say that. The next way that we deceive ourselves is through a conditional, a conditional confession. 2 Samuel uh, 12, 13, you know, that, that's the story of David committing adultery with, with Bathsheba. And then he wanted her for his wife, and so he sets up a murder. He murders her husband, Uriah, in, and gets him murdered in battle. And then Nathan the prophet comes to David on his own and at risk of his own life. I mean, 
David could have had Nathan just wiped out so easily right there and took care of the problem. But God was with Nathan. And, uh, and when Nathan was done, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned. I did it. Uh, but a conditional con- uh, confession is when you say, if I've hurt you, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, if, if we know that we've hurt someone, never use an if. Don't use the IF. Because it's almost like, like no confession at all. Just go to that person. I was crabby. I was selfish. I was insensitive. Would you please forgive me? Don't just say you're sorry. You know, say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Saying you're sorry is one thing, but that, you know, that please forgive me or would you forgive me, when that happens, that separates the sheep from the goats. It really does. Because people then know you really are uh, serious. You really are sorry. Uh, The next self-deception comes through a hypocritical confession. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. A Sunday school teacher was asking her class what it means to repent, and one little boy said uh, that it means to be sorry for your sins. And, And then this little girl next to him says, Yeah, but it means sorry enough to quit. And She knew the whole story. So hypocritical confession is confessing my sin without forsaking it. Confessing your sin without forsaking it. Beloved, Jesus died for past sins. Yes, absolutely. But he can deliver you from going on in sin. You know, it's like the nine-year-old boy who is watching these R-rated movies that his parents brought into the house. And, uh, you know, he, uh, uh, no one was watching, you know, nobody else knew what he was doing, and no one had shown him Romans 6, 1 and 2, and so he said, well, I watch, and then I ask God to forgive me after each video. Well, where did he get that theology from? Well, my guess is he got it from his parents. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says... Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more kindness and forgiveness? Of course not. Another other translations say, may it never be. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Beloved, there is deliverance from sin. But not just forg- uh, deliverance, but we also have uh, We have forgiveness, we have forgiveness, we have deliverance. And they're both so important. Jesus died to take away the guilt of sin, but he also rose from the dead that we can have uh, uh, victory and power because of the resurrected Savior. You know, at Christmas we get cards and and, and many times it'll have that scripture verse, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save uh, his people from, not in, from their sins. 
So we don't want to make that hypocritical confession where we confess our sin without renouncing it. And then we have a partial confession. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the little guy, everybody hated because he cheated so many people. And uh, so Jesus is going through Jericho. Uh, Zacchaeus is up in the tree because he wants to see this famous Jesus. And uh, he's hiding behind the big leaves of the sycamore tree. And uh, Jesus spots him, spots that evildoer. But he spots him and he says, hey, Jesus, come on down. I want to spend the night at your house. And, uh, and after Zacchaeus lets Jesus into his heart and into his, uh, into his house and then into his heart, uh, he says, Lord, I'll give half of my money to the poor right off the top. And if I've cheated anybody, I'll give them four times what I cheated. Four times. So if he cheated somebody out of a hundred bucks, he's going to give them back 400. Now, partial confession is confessing my sin without making restitution. Without making restitution. Um, I kind of smiled when the announcement was given about the library. Um, if you took a book from the library, and let's just make it real personal. You took the book from your library, okay? And then you said, oh, you know, I've had the book about three years, and oh, I, I, I forgot to take it back. It isn't enough to say, God, forgive me. If, you have, if you're really repentant, you've got to make restitution, even if it's the church library. And you've got to bring that book back. And if you, you know, not only took it out three years ago and you lost it, then you've got to come back and you've got to pay for it. I mean, you have to do that because that is a full and a complete repentance. Uh, and so when a Christian... Here's another, that's stealing, by the way, if you don't do that. Uh, but there's another way we steal from God. And, and there are people who will really fight me on this, but um, I'm up here and you're not, so I get to say this. Uh, when a Christian, I'm talking about a born-again believer, repeatedly stays out late on Saturday night, sleeps in Sunday morning, he's choosing not to honor God, not to worship him. And that person has stolen time from Almighty God. Confess it, yes. Repent, yes. And make restitution, you see, by committing yourself to give God time and, uh, and worship and honor by getting ready for Sunday, by being ready Saturday night. I know, I, but you know, I'm from outside and I came in and I get to leave. Uh, but that's the truth. How we, we do these things and we don't even think about it. And you know, we're borrowing pens and paper and, and paper clips from work that we have no intention of bringing back. Do you think that, you think, oh, well, that's a big corporation. They can afford it, really? How does that work on God's economy? Uh, but then and only then, you know, uh, people, people will say, you know, 
uh, I've forsaken my sin, you know, uh, I've, I've made restitution, uh, but I just, I can't, I don't have peace. I don't have peace. And I think, well, did you really make restitution? And, you know, anything stolen is an unclean thing. And we have to take care of that. We have to take that unclean thing back uh, to where we got it from and get it out of your house, give it to the rightful owner, no matter how insignificant you may think it is. And then and only then is the peace of God uh, is, is going to come to you. So uh, there's a fifth way that people deceive themselves. Uh, and that's through a defensive uh, confession. Most of you are familiar with the story in Luke 18 uh, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, they go up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee is, you know, he's, he's breaking his arm, patting himself on the back. And, uh, he, and he's, he's saying, oh, Lord, you really got a winner when you got me. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I, I have, uh, I, I fast twice a week. I, I, uh, I tithe on all, my, uh, all that I possess, and you are so lucky to have me, Lord. And, uh, and I'm not like others, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there, the dirty crook. And, but in contrast, the tax collector, he wouldn't even go to the front of the temple. He's in the back, and he stayed in the back, and he wouldn't even look up. He's got his... his he's, he's, He's ashamed and he's bowed his head and he beats his chest in utter dismay and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. I'm the sinner. And you see, he accepted what he was, not patting himself on the back, not telling himself what a great guy he is. And you know, I've been very dismayed over the years uh, at some of the men in high places and in Christian work who have fallen. I mean, we've all read the stories and so forth. But as bad as their sin was, the disturbing thing that, that was that their confession was so unlike that of David's. You know, they, you know, they aren't the first to commit adultery and, and neither was David. But David's response, David's response was, I have sinned against the Lord. That's who I sinned against. No ifs, ands, buts, no excuses, no defensive confession. But those leaders and others have tried to excuse themselves. I was overworked. I was very tired. Well, if you were so tired, why didn't you just go to bed instead of going to bed with some other woman? You, had, you weren't tired enough for that. And, and so uh, another man said, oh, I was set up for it. You know, I... Uh, uh, I, I went into the hotel room and they had this woman there. What was I to do? Well, you could have done a 180. That's what you could have done and gotten out of there. And, uh, you know, th another, another one said, well, my father was an alcoholic, so I really couldn't help myself. Oh, those are so weak. And, uh, but, beloved, we, we can all make excuses for sin because we live in a sinful world. And none of us had perfect parents. None of us had a perfect environment. So if we're going to look for excuses, they're always going to be there. But the true confession is one where we say, look, I am responsible for the choices I make. I didn't have to go to bed with that man or that woman. 
I, I didn't have to walk into that hotel room. I didn't have to continue to drink that which destroyed my father. So a defensive confession is where I confess the sin, but I make excuses for myself. But Lord, I was sick. I was tired. Others were doing it. Lord this, Lord that. And, but no ifs, ands, or buts. And rationalization is inventing a good reason to do the wrong thing. I like the way D. James Kennedy put it. Uh, he, he said about rationalization, he says, it's the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. I like that. The skin of a reason uh, stuffed with a lie. I was late for work because the traffic was heavy. The reason but stuffed with a lie because he stopped and got some donuts beforehand, and that's why he was really late. You know, just that silly stuff, but we think we can tell that lie and, you know, and, and stuff it into a, a real normal reason. The sixth way that we can deceive ourselves is through questionable acts. Paul told the Roman Christians that if we have any doubts in what we do, we shouldn't do them. Because, as he said, whatever is of doubt is not of faith. And he that does something with doubts in his heart is condemned because he's going against that which he has faith in. You remember the story? Uh, well, no, you don't. But I'll tell you this story. Uh, there was a guy who was in, he was in charge of hiring bus drivers for his school district. And so they needed a new bus driver, and so he, uh, he had three, three men who applied for, for this job as a, as a bus driver. And so uh, he, he took them uh, outside, and uh, he said uh, he was going to test them as to how good a driver they were. And uh, he says, fellas, how close could you drive your school bus to that cliff over there without falling off? And the first guy says, I could get within a foot of that cliff. And the second guy says, that's nothing. I can get within six inches without going over. And the third guy says, well, look, you know, I'd stay as far away from that cliff as possible. We're talking a school bus here. Yeah, the third guy got the job. And, and beloved, God doesn't want to see how close we can get to the edge of his commandments. And, and what's right and wrong before we fall off. Uh, you know, some say God is so, such a, a, a harsh judge and so tough. And, you know, if anything, I think God is so lenient. So he's so easy on his children. If, if, if we got what we deserved, you know, we'd be like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. We'd all be in the grave if we got what we deserved. The churches would be empty because, there'd be, because of all the Christians who are playing it so close to the edge. So I want to I warn you, you can write it down, think about it later. When in doubt, don't. <laughs> when in doubt, don't. You got that thing in the back you know, of your mind you saying, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. Don't let any of those questionable areas compromise your Christian walk. It's that important. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the final kind of 
incomplete repentance that we can deceive ourselves with is a delayed, a delayed confession. You know what's right and what you've got to do, but you postpone getting right with God. You postpone getting right with others. And, and I really want to encourage you on this one. If, if you knew company was coming, you knew company was coming, I don't know how it is with you, but uh, wouldn't you do some real cleaning? You know, you'd get those bathrooms really looking nice and every, you'd do the dusting and the sweeping and the cleaning and you'd get everything really, really nice uh, if you sh it were sure that company was coming. Beloved, Jesus is coming. He's coming. He doesn't ask that you have a fancy home. You know, he's not putting that pressure on you, but he looks at the heart. And our heart is his home. And sometimes we think, you know, if we can just keep the lights low and burn a couple candles, he won't see the dirt. He sees the dirt. He sees it all. Don't delay confession. Get it right. Get it. Do it now. You know, um, do any of you know the name George Whitfield? A couple hundred years ago, great man of God, uh, uh, a, a pastor, a preacher, an author. Well, George Whitfield, a Briton, he was coming over on, on, on boat. There was no other way, of course. And uh, he's coming, and he mentioned in his journal, in his first voyage to Georgia, actually, and uh, he mentioned that the ship's cook had a drinking problem. And when he, uh, when he was criticized, when the cook was criticized for his drinking problem and some other, other uh, sins, he, he bragged that he would, he would remain depraved until the last two years of his life. <laughs> and then he would reform. He actually said that. And Whitfield went on to say that within six hours of that bragging uh, statement, he died of complications to his drinking problem. You know, beloved, we, you, know, you don't want to presume, write it down, you don't want to presume on the grace of God. Now, I'd rather have, I'd rather have a person make a deathbed uh, uh, repentance than no repentance at all. But a deathbed repentance is a bittersweet thing. We sang about it. You know, the thief on the cross, we sang about that. But it's, it's like the thief on the cross. He made a deathbed repentance, uh, as it were, where Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And we rejoice, you know, because he'll be in heaven. His soul is saved. But what about his life? His life is lost and can never be regained. And as Christians, you know, we don't, we don't only want their soul to be saved, but we want their life to be saved as well. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, we don't want them, we don't want them to be saved so as by fire. Well, what, is, what did he mean by that? Well, they've, they've built uh, on the right foundation of the Lord Jesus, but they've built on wood, hay, and stubble. And, and so they've lived this self-centered, self-indulgent kind of life, trying to get away with as much as they could, getting as close to the edge as they could. Uh, when the fire of judgment does come, their whole life is burned away. 
the life that God gave them on this earth is burned away. And I fear there's a whole lot of that going on in the church today. And, and that is why the world can't see uh, a whole lot of difference between us and them. Because there's not. We're playing it so close to the edge. Can't tell the difference. But there's one way we come to Jesus. And that's empty-handed. We come to Jesus empty, not trying to buy our salvation with uh, good works, but beloved, there's another way when you've been, we've been saved. It says we will come bringing our sheaves with us. I'll bet it's been a long time since you sang that song, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We will come rejoicing. What's a sheave? You know, well, uh, it means that we're, we're going to have fruit to lay at the feet of Jesus. And Lord, you know, I've lived my life for you. I've brought souls to you. I told others about you. I, I've desired to please you. We can't say that with this delayed confession. When we just wait a little longer, it's going to be okay. I'll get to that. I'll get to that guy. I know he was, he looked really hungry. But you know, uh, I'll, I'll tell him about Jesus a little later. And so we wait a little longer. But God wants us now. Though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Our Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, may we realize the difference uh, between empty repentance and complete repentance, Father. Bring us to a fullness, Lord, in, in you, not deceiving ourselves, but being honest to God, honest to you, Lord. And Lord, thank you this morning. I pray, Father, that your word may be embedded in our hearts and in our minds. Just brand us, Father, with your truth. And Lord, we're forever grateful for the Lord Jesus, our salvation captain, for it's in his name we pray.